0: Well, good morning, good morning. What a great morning of worship. Thank you, worship team, for leading us to the throne of God. And this morning, welcome back to our series. We're in a great series called The Kings. And in this series, we're looking at some of the kings in the Old Testament. We're seeing how they lived and how they led in their day and their time and their generation and what that means for us as God calls us to lead and to love today. Now, what we've said is this, is that everything rises and falls on leadership. All right, I mean have you thought about that? I mean in your in your company, in your business, in your kid's school, in your soccer teams or football or I mean everything rises and falls on leadership. You have great leaders, it seems to thrive. You don't it just seems to go down. And and what we're seeing is this is some of the kings who had responsibility, who had authority, who had the opportunity to lead back in their day, and some of them did it really well. And the nation prospered. And things were going great for so many people. And then others of them, man, they just took a downward spiral. And the impact that it had not only on their lives, but the lives of so many others. And the fact of the matter is this. All of us, in some capacity, are leaders. All of us have this call to spiritual leadership. And if you're a parent... You want to be a parent one day, you are a spiritual leader, right? If you are a coach, or if you are a boss, or you work in a place, and you have people who work with you or work for you at church, you are a spiritual leader. And so in all of us, all our capacity, we have this opportunity to lead. We have this opportunity to do something with our lives for the glory of God. We said spiritual leadership is about moving people onto God's agenda, Moving people on to God's agenda, not just leading people to ourselves, not for our own name, for our own glory, for our own resource. It's us pointing people to Jesus and saying, Jesus is the one who can transform lives. There is hope, there is peace, there is joy that comes in Christ and in Christ alone. Now, in the Old Testament, we've seen a couple of kings so far, right? We we started with this guy, Solomon. And Solomon was the son of King David. David was the king who was like, you know, he was the benchmark for all the other kings. I mean, this guy, he loved the Lord. David was known as a man after God's own heart. David led the nation so well. He rose Israel to really a place of prominence, to world power. I mean, they were wealthy and successful. And then his son Solomon comes to the throne. And the first thing Solomon did, and he started so well, didn't he? The first thing he did was he prayed for wisdom. And as spiritual leaders, we said, man, that's our call to pray for wisdom. God, give me wisdom to parent. God, give me wisdom to lead this company or this organization. God, give me wisdom in my kid's school. God, give me wisdom with my roommates. God, give me wisdom. And so he starts off so well, and Solomon did this great thing. But then we see God's call to faithfulness. And even though Solomon started well, he didn't finish well, did he? He took 700 wives, 300 concubines. Crazy, right? You know, they just led his heart from the Lord. They led his heart after other gods, the gods of the land. And so Solomon just kind of, man, he just goes down a bad path and it impacts so many others. Last week we saw King Jeroboam. And Jeroboam comes into the picture, right, as Solomon is kind of on the decline, as as Solomon's heart is being pulled away from God. And even though Solomon is successful on the outside, lots of money, lots of power, lots of things that go along with being the king, yet his heart was moving away from God. And so God raised up a guy that's Jeroboam, and Jeroboam started to step into this leadership void. And when the kingdom is ripped away from Solomon's son and it's torn into two, Jeroboam takes the northern kingdom and becomes the king of the northern tribes of Israel. But Jeroboam did not have the character built in his life. And so even though he had more power, his character started to fade. And we said a godly character, spiritual leaders demonstrate godly character. And godly character looks like this, humility, service, and compassion. And the problem from Jeroboam, man, he never had that stability in his life. And boy, when he gets into power, what does he do? He leads the people even further away from God. He leads them even further away from God. And they committed more and more sins and it broke the heart of God. But today, today we get to see a good king. Yes, I'm so excited. So I am pumped today. I'm excited you're here today. And we're going to look at a guy named King Asa. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, Old Testament, right? We're going back toward the beginning of the Bible. It's in that 1st and 2nd section, 1st 2nd Samuel, 1st 2nd Kings, 1st 2nd Chronicles. We're going to be in 1st Kings chapter 15. 1st Kings chapter 15. And we're going to see this guy who, man, he loved God all of his life. And I love that and what God did in him and through him for God's glory. Pick up here in 1st Kings chapter 15 verse 1. It says, In the 18th year of the reign of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Abijah became the king of Judah. And he reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother's name was Myacah, the daughter of Abba Shalom. So here's what's happening, right? After Solomon, this kind of civil war breaks out. And you've got the northern tribes, the ten tribes of Israel. You've got the southern two tribes of Judah. So Judah, Simeon, you know, you've got some of the Levites are a part of that. You've got some of uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. Let me put up a chart just so you can see this, because I think this is so important. Because this really sets the stage for the rest of the Old Testament. So not only are we seeing life application, but we're seeing the the relevancy of God's word and we're growing deeper in his truth. But Saul was the first king of Israel, right? And if you're reading through the daily step right now, we're, we're looking at Saul, right? Saul was the first king. Then after Saul, and he didn't finish well, came David. And David was the guy who reigned 40 years. Loved the Lord. Man after God's heart. After David, Solomon becomes the king, all right, and God had told David, David, because of your faithfulness, you will never cease to have a man on the throne. And so Solomon is his son; he becomes the king. Now here's where the kingdom is split. After Solomon becomes the 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 kingdom is split into two. You got Jeroboam who goes to become the king of the Israelites in the north. Rehoboam, his Solomon's son, and he becomes the king of Judah. So he becomes the king of Judah, and he reigns 17 years. And then you've got Abijah, his son, and then today we're going to see Asa. But it's important because the line of David, this is the messianic line. This is the line that Jesus will come through. So David never ceases to have one on the throne, right? Jesus, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. So we're looking at Abijah right now. And Abijah, he only reigns three years. He doesn't do very well. It says, he committed all the sins his father had done before him. Now that's a really sad phrase in scripture. I got to tell you, it only occurs five times in the Old Testament. He committed all the sins that his father had done before him. Four of the times are about the kings in the north. So Jeroboam, we're going to see Ahab next week. Same thing, right? This is the only king of Judah where it's said of him that he committed all the sins his father had before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God, as the heart of David, his forefather had been. Nevertheless... For David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and by making Jerusalem strong. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commands all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. And even as great of a man as David was, he he still messed up, right? He wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. We've all sinned, haven't we? We've all made mistakes. There's all things in our lives that that we regret. But the awesome part about David is even at the end of his life, he was known as a man after God's heart. Even after he blew it, even after he made mistakes. And maybe you're here today. And maybe today you're carrying around some guilt. Maybe today you're carrying around a regret. And I want to tell you, by the grace of God, there is redemption. By the grace of God, there is hope. There is restoration. And you don't have to live in that guilt. That you can go forward and be a man or a woman after God's heart. You are redeemed, you are restored, you are made new. Praise be to God. That's what he can do for you today in Christ, in Christ alone. It says, there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam throughout Abijah's lifetime. As for the other events of Abijah's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Judah? There was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And Asa, his son, succeeded him as king. So here's what we know about Asa. In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Asa became the king of Judah. And he reigned in Jerusalem 41 years. His grandmother's name was Maiak, daughter of Abba Shalom. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Ah, I love that. Way to go, man. You know, way to go. Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. He expelled the male shrine prostitutes from the land and got rid of all the idols his father had made. He even deposed of his grandmother, Mayaka, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive Ashtoreth pole. Asa cut the pole down and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of the Lord the silver and the gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated. Wow. This guy did it right. This guy lived it well. And although he wasn't perfect, and you can go over to Second Chronicles and see some mistakes that Asa made. I want to tell you, the guy loved the Lord. And he was committed to God all the days of his life. Now, look at what Asa inherited. I mean, Asa inherited a mess, didn't he? I mean, for 60 years, the, the country's been going on a decline spiritually. I mean, you got 40 years under Solomon, 17 years under Rehoboam. you got three years under Abijah. So you've got this downward spiral that the country is going down. And Asa steps into it. Now, Asa has a decision to make, doesn't he? Asa could go, you know what? I'm the king. And I'm going to kick it back here. You know, I need somebody to fan me. I need somebody to feed me those little grapes, right? And I'm going to kick back because I'm the king and I got a great life. I could just cruise along, you know, like my dad did and his dad. I mean, we're good. But Asa stepped in and engaged. And Asa, by the grace of God, changed the culture. He changed the culture. He did something. You know, in all of our lives, right, we have the same temptation. In all of our lives, everything in our life is built to make us comfortable, isn't it? We got our big comfy couch. We got our big screen TV. You know, we've got our air conditioning. And it's so easy for us, even in our day and our time, to kick back and go, you know what? I'm good. I mean, really? I'm blessed. I'm okay. We watch reality shows where, you know, people sit back and they watch other people live life. You know, I'm just like, yeah, I mean, you're really. I mean, you're watching people do these incredible adventures and all these things while we sit back and watch that. And it's built for us to be a spectator. And yet God says, you're not a spectator. You're a part of my plan. I want to use you for my glory. Christianity is not a passive faith. Christianity is an active faith. Christianity calls us to step up and get involved. Jesus said, come, follow. Jesus told his disciples, right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And we've got to decide. Just like Asa had to decide. Am I going to step up? Spiritual leaders engage, right? Spiritual leaders engage. Spiritual leaders serve and give and pray and are active and involved. And I want to tell you, Asa, even though he inherited a mess, Asa realized that he wasn't a slave to what he inherited. He wasn't a slave to what he inherited. Maybe you just need to hear that today. You're not a slave to what you inherit. God can use you to make a difference right where you are. Now, I love this about Asa because, you know what? Asa knew that if I'm going to change the culture, it's going to start at home. It's going to start at home. And to have a godly culture at home, here's some things that Asa did. I mean, look at this. This is pretty hardcore stuff, right? Verse 13, he even deposed of his grandmother, Mayaka, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive Astaroth pole. Astaroth poles in this day were used for pagan worship. And they were—it was just—it was gross. The things that they did with this pole, right? And they—she put it up in the center. And Ace is like, "Uh -uh. "Uh-uh, Granny, we gotta have a talk, (laughs) okay?" (laughs) I mean, now you just imagine this is going to go down really well, right? I mean, because she's been queen mother for Abigail, and she just thinks, you know, my grandson's coming to the throne. He's going to fall along. I'm queen mom. I'm stepping into this. Ace is like, "Uh "Uh-uh, we gotta have a talk. We gotta have a talk." This isn't the way that it's supposed to be. God's got a bigger plan for us, and God's got a bigger plan for our family. Spiritual leaders, i got to tell you, number one is this. Spiritual leaders confront generational sin. They confront generational sin. Now, now many of us, we grew up in great families. Praise God. If you grew up in a great family, just say, thank you, Lord, you know? But but a lot of times, there's generational sin that's passed on from family to family to family, and it just comes down to us. And a lot of times, what do we do? We just go... I'm not going to step into that, right? I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. I'm just going to kind of kick back here. And, and a lot of times we're people pleasers. You know? I mean, that happens to me sometimes. I mean, I want everybody to be happy. I love everybody. I want everybody to be happy, you know? And, and, and yet, spiritual leaders, there's points that you've got to confront. You've got to care enough to, to confront and to say, you know what? I love you. But this isn't right. This is this just handing down from one generation to that just isn't right. There's a guy named Joseph Greenery and wrote a book called Crucial Conversations. And in this book, he talks about this, that, that all of us at some point have crucial conversations. And whether it's with our family or friends or people we love. But a lot of times we back away from those crucial conversations because why? Because we think there's only two outcomes that can come with a crucial conversation. We think one of the outcomes is going to be they're going to hate us. Right. They're not going to like us. And so I'm not going to say anything because they're going to hate us if I say something about this. Or, you know, what else is going to happen is it's not going to change. Right. And so that's really the only two things that are going to come out. That's our mindset. And that's a fear mindset. That's a, that's a mindset of fear. But he says crucial conversations often lead to this. They lead to restoration in the relationship. They lead to a greater depth in the relationship. And the situation many times does change. And there's a lot of times, and whether it's in our own family or whether it's with our friends, and we watch them, and they're making decisions, and they're going down a bad path, or even with our kids. And many times the temptation is to step back and go, you know what, I'll just kind of let them figure it out. I'm just going to kind of let this thing go on. And yet God, with everything in us, we know it's God, is saying, step in step in i want to use you i want to speak through you step in have a crucial conversation listen it's it it may be tough at the beginning but but man there's going to bring redemption there's going to bring hope into their lives there's going to bring restoration please step in and i think about asa going oh i don't want to talk to my grandmother about this i just just don't even want to do it but but he did and I don't know what happened here. You know, we don't have the whole kind of final story here. Maybe Mayaka said, you're right, Ace. I'm sorry, but I believe that Ace over 41 years saw redemption happen in his family. I don't know where you are today, but I want to tell you guys, as I was praying, as I was preparing, it, it just seemed like the Holy Spirit was saying, stop right here and just pray. And I don't know if, if there's something going on in, in your life or in your family or, or something's happening with somebody at work or somebody's happening with a good friend that you just have a heart for and you're watching them make some bad decisions and God's been prompting you to step into that and, and you're scared. I don't, I don't know what's happening, but I just want to pray over you right now. Is that okay? Let me, let me just pray right now. If you can just bow your heads for a moment. Father, God, all of us right here um, today are your disciples. And there's times, God, that you call us to have crucial conversations. And, and Father, it's hard many times. And God, whether it's with our our children or our roommates or whether it's with our our friends and we're watching their lives and some decisions they're making, I don't know what's happening right here today. But God, I pray for every person in this room. And I pray, God, you would give us a a boldness and a courage. I pray that you would give us a sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you would give us a love in our heart for others and that we would love enough to, to say something when. When somebody's life is out of control, when when we watch them make bad decisions, God, give us a love that would speak up and speak truth and speak hope and speak grace. And so, God, we need you. We can't do that on our own. And, Father, thank you for your presence and thank you for Christ who redeems our own lives. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Spiritual leaders, they confront, right? Spiritual leaders engage Even in tough situations, that's what leaders do. Leaders lead. Leaders lead. If you're to have a godly culture in your family, number one, you have to confront generational sin. Number two is you establish new traditions. You establish new traditions. I mean, look at Asa. You know, they used to go as the family to worship at the idols, and they had these male shrine prostitutes, they had this Astaroth pole, and Asa's going, no, 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 no. We're going to the temple. (laughs) We're going to the temple. We're doing something different. We're going to worship God. Now, maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home, you know. But I want to tell you, you have the opportunity, and I have the opportunity to establish new traditions. New traditions in our family. Maybe you didn't grow up praying at meals. Now you have that opportunity. Maybe you didn't grow up having a family devotional. Now you have that opportunity. You can step into those situations you know, the holidays are coming up, right? I mean, Thanksgiving and Christmas and just kind of around the corner and stores are already stocking stuff. It's crazy, I know. But, but you know what the great thing is? That you and I have this opportunity to establish some new traditions. And at Thanksgiving, instead of just making it about football and food that it becomes about every year, you know, why don't we just say, hey, wait a minute, as a family, we want to be thankful. And we're going to write down some things for which we're thankful. And instead of watching the Detroit Lions for the 15th year in a row, you know, we're going to, we're going to say, hey, let's talk about some things that we're really thankful for. Let's spend this time giving praise back to God. Let's bless one another. Let, let's establish a new tradition. Christmas is coming up. And instead of just buying presents randomly and buying the same sweater we buy every year for the same person every year, can we do something different? Is there somebody who's poor? Is there somebody who's disadvantaged? Is there somebody that we can help? We're going to establish new traditions. Asa did that. He changed the culture. Changed the culture of his family. You know what it did? It impacted generations. It impacted generations. I love what it says here. It says, you know, that Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done. It didn't say his father Abijah, right? Or his father Rehoboam or Solomon. It went all the way back to David, his great, great grandfather. You talk about impacting generations generations. There's a couple in our church, and, and I, just, I just love them. This, And they're both grandparents, right? And grandfather and grandmother. And, and their kids are in our church, and their grandkids are in our church. But you know what these grandparents are doing? They're taking and reading through the entire Bible this year. So the grandfather's reading through one Bible, and the grandmother's reading through the other Bible, and they're underlining Scripture. And they're writing notes in the margin. And you know what they're doing? They're giving that Bible... The grandfather to the grandson and the grandmother to the granddaughter. And then next year, they're starting on a new Bible for their other grandson and their other granddaughter. You know what I love about that? Is it's not just getting my will together and my trust and I'm passing money down from generation to generation. It's, it's, I'm passing on a spiritual legacy. I'm passing on something more to people who are going to come behind me. That's what spiritual leaders do. They create a godly culture. And it starts at home, it starts in the family. The second place is you create a godly culture in the workplace. Now this was a family run business, right? I mean, you know, my hawk has got to run in the whole show. And Asa steps into this and it's toxic. I mean, it's hard, it's difficult. And some of you, you may be in a workplace that's toxic. I mean, you may be in a workplace where you're just like, man, I came into this job, it was great. And then all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of gossip, a lot of back talk, a lot of things, I just don't agree with that. What do I do? Do I fall in line with that culture? Do I continue to live that way? Or do I step in and start to change the culture? How do you change the culture in your workplace? Prayer. Prayer. It says, Ace's heart was fully committed to the Lord. Isn't that awesome? Ace's heart was fully committed to the Lord. You know, he spent time. He spent time praying. He spent time seeking the Lord. God, be with us. God, be with this place. God, bring hope. Bring redemption. God, be praised. Second way is how you treat people. How you treat people. And you and I have that opportunity where we work every day of our lives at home in our communities. How we treat people will start to change the culture. It just will. I was talking to a guy this past week, his name's Dave, and and Dave was telling me this. He said, you know, Jeff, he said, uh, when I first got to this job, he said, I wasn't sure if there were a lot of other believers, but I met this guy who was another Christian. And so we said, let's do a Bible study. So every Friday morning, we met for a Bible study. He said, then after a few weeks, people started to hear about this. And, and he said, I play Christian music, you know, in my office. I put a Bible on my desk and nobody's ever said anything. But people walk in and say, hey, you know, tell me about this. And he said, last week I had four people ask me about it. He said, this past Friday, we had 15 guys who showed up for our, our Bible study. Because it's, it's incredible. He goes, then the CEO got, oh, got up and he, we bought a new hospital and he was praying a blessing over this hospital. He said, guys, we just want to pray a blessing over it. And I'm like, pray a blessing over it. Wow, I never heard those words before that were happening. And he goes, I'm just seeing God work in my company. And he was so excited about it. And I thought, wow, it didn't happen overnight, right? But it took some time, but there's starting to be a change. They're changing the culture slowly, but surely. And then you see to change the culture in the community, change the culture in the community. And to create a godly community. And that's what was happening here with Asa. That's the decisions that were being made. And it was impacting so many others. And you could do that. And I could do that. As God calls us to impact this community. It starts as they went to worship at the temple. It started with Asa serving and saying, I want to be involved in something bigger than myself. I want the nation to come around and rally around God. That's why we talk about worship one hour, serve one hour, serving and giving back. When volunteering and using our time, investing in the lives of others, investing in people and watching them grow up. And then be creative. God has given you gifts and talents and ability. Be creative. You could start a blog, right? Anybody can. And Start writing about what you would like to see God do in our community or what you'd like to see God do in the world for his glory. You, you could write a song. You could write a book. The possibilities are endless. Her name is Molly, and Molly just has this incredible heart for being a mom. And she does such a great job of, of teaching her children as this rite of passage, you know, as, as these girls are growing up. And it's always awkward as a parent to have those conversations about the birds and the bees with your kids, you know. And you're like, oh, I don't know how to get into this, and we've got to talk about it. But it's, And Molly's, you know, just done this great thing and developed this, this opportunity to talk with her kids and then she said, Well, I'm sure other moms are going through this same thing, so maybe I can lead a lead a course and just help, and we could come along and pray. And this past Wednesday, 35 women showed up here to talk about that. How do we help our daughters step in and become godly young women? I love that. Darren Clark, who grew up and man, he had an estranged relationship with his dad, and he just thought the difference that dads and their can make is they engage with their children. And so what did he do? He started the Father Son Bowl this past year. 1200 players at the Father's Sumble. it was just somebody who said god use me god use me i don't have all the answers i'm not perfect but, but god I'm, I'm here i'm available use me and here's asa right and asa just stepping forward asa engaging for the glory of god leaders lead That's what they do. And it doesn't happen overnight, right? It was 60 years of moral decay, and it took 41 years, man, for the culture to start to turn. But you see these daily deposits, daily deposits, daily deposits in your marriage, daily deposits with your roommates, daily deposits for the glory of God, and the culture starts to turn. And you and I can be a part of that. You know, everybody in the Old Testament, right, they're kind of measured against King David, In the New Testament, right, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ has come. And Jesus, our King of Kings, praise be to God. Now, what did Jesus say to his disciples? What did he say? Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. He said, you are the salt of the earth. That's what he said. You disciples, you are the salt of the earth. Hey, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. It's interesting about salt back in this day, right? Salt was valuable back in this day. I mean, salt was almost a commodity because it was, you know, just worth currency back then. Because you had to flavor the food, but you also had to preserve the food. Salt meant the difference between life and death for a lot of people. But here's the thing about salt, It doesn't do any good there, does it? <laughs> I mean, salt in the salt shaker, I mean, it, it doesn't do anything at all. It's just there. The only time salt works is when it's poured out on the food, right? When it's just poured out. That's when it works. It doesn't do anything here. And Jesus knew that. He said, you, you are the salt of the earth. And he kept going, right? He said, uh, you are a light of the world. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Last year, we were in Israel on a biblical study tour. We do that about every three years with our church and take people to Israel. And I bought this oil lamp, first century oil lamp. And so this is what people would have used back then. Now, you imagine they didn't have electricity. So you're talking pitch black at night, right? I mean, you're talking just dark, dark, dark. But they would put oil in this lamp and then they would light the lamp. And he goes, you know what? People light a lamp and they don't hide it. What do they do? They put it on a stand. They put the light on a stand and it gives room and light to every room in the house. He said, you are the light of the world. You. You. It doesn't do any good if the light's not burning. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds And praise your Father in heaven. You and I, we're called to lead. You and I are called to engage. And you think about the church through the centuries. You think about the risk that men and women have taken. It was the church who first started schools. It was the church who first started hospitals. It was the church who first started hospice. It was the church who first started soup kitchens. It was the church who first stepped out and started prison reform. It was you. It was the church. And now the generations have come to us. And God has given us a very clear vision as a church. To reach people with the love of Christ. And to grow fully mature disciples. To be engaged with the hurting, with the broken, with the lost, with the poor. To make a difference in our day. But it takes all of us. All of us. For the glory of God. Her name is Ann Lees. And uh, Ann Lees, I remember several years ago, her and her husband Chandler were part of our small group and. And her son Matthew was born. And Matthew had Down syndrome. He had a lot of heart complications and, and problems. And so Matthew spent the first first times of his life in the hospital and surgery after surgery after surgery. And I remember being at the hospital and praying with Ann Lees and with Chandler. And, and as Ann Lees, you know, she just couldn't stop crying. She was crying. And, and, and she said, Jeff, you know, I'm not only worried about his health. I'm just worried about what his life's going to be. You know, having Down syndrome, is he going to have friends? Is he going to have any kind of relationships? What's it going to be like for him? In our small group, we would just come around her and pray and pray. And, and Ann Lee's did some research, and she found out about an organization called Best Buddies. Started by Anthony Shriver, whose mom had started the Special Olympics. And Best Buddies, you know, pairs you know, somebody with a, a, a person with special needs. And so there's a buddy system that happens and it works in middle schools and high schools and colleges. And, and Ann Lee's goes, that would be incredible. I would love for my son to have a buddy. I would love as he grows up that he would have somebody who, who he could be friends with because I just long for him to have, have friends one day. In 2010, Best Buddies um, was started with one chapter. This, this past uh, year, 2014, they kicked off the new school year with 80 chapters throughout Middle Tennessee. 80 chapters in middle schools and high schools and colleges. In 2011, uh, they had their first best buddies prom. And many of you are part of that and helping and serving. And in 2014, they had the best buddies prom at the Bridgestone Arena with 2,000 people. 2,000 people. And you look at these kids, and they're having the time of their life, and they're singing, and they're laughing, and they're just having so much fun. You know what God's doing through Annelies? He's changing the culture. <laughs> He's changing the culture. i not be f- afraid of somebody who has special needs, they're, they're your friend. And somebody with Down syndrome, man, they bring so much joy and so much life. They don't even have the capacity to hate. I mean, they just are loving life. And you and I, our lives are richer and deeper because of what God's doing. Through one ordinary stay-at-home mom who just said, you know what, God, use me. And God wants to use you. And God wants to use me. And it says, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all of his life. All of his life. It doesn't happen overnight it's daily deposits daily deposits seeking the lord praying just being the man or the woman that god created you to be and then allowing god to work allowing god to move it's just bringing that salt just bringing that light day in and day out so where's your heart as you search today are you fully committed to the lord it doesn't mean that you're perfect oh none of us are but what it means is is there a relationship with god Is he the Lord of your life? Are you pursuing him? Is he more important than anything else? God's not finished with any of us yet. Oh no. God is still writing our story. And God wants to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or ever imagine. He just says, hold on to me. Hold on to me. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. I don't know where you are today. But in your life, could you search your heart and say, I'm fully committed. God, I'm all in. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to know you. God, you're not finished with me. Maybe today it's a crucial conversation, (laughs) or maybe today it's a deposit of prayer. Or maybe today it's just the the freedom to go forward in Christ. To not be afraid. For God didn't give us a spirit of fear. But of power. Of love. Self-control. Father, here we are, your disciples. And the calling to be salt and light. The calling to engage. And Father, spiritual leaders lead. It's part of the word. It's what we do. And so I pray, oh Father that you would draw us to your heart and you would transform us from the inside out, God. And wherever you have placed us, in our family or with our roommates or with our friends and our community and our church, God, that we would engage. God, I pray every morning we would wake up and just say, God, here I am, use me. (laughs) I'm not perfect, but God, I'm yours. And that we would love and serve well all of our life, all of our life, all of our life. Thank you for your presence this morning, God. And thank you for the grace that we receive in Christ and in Christ alone. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen, amen.